My name is Ed, and along with Alex, I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Gateway. And if you're visiting with us, thanks so much for coming. Welcome. You know, it is crazy what we believe. Most of us who gather here on Sunday morning, it's a little bit crazy what we believe. And I have been especially mindful this summer. We're working our way through the book of 1 Peter. Peter's first letter to a group of Christians that lived in the Roman province of what is modern-day Turkey. And he was writing them this letter to basically say, giddy up, you know, life is sometimes really hard and it's been hard for you, but stay in there, hang in there. And in reading this letter, it's been great for me because I realize that I have a doubter's gene and a quitter's gene that's really strong. And when things get tough for me, often what I want to do is quit or I want to entertain myself or I want to distract myself sometimes, or I want to adopt a, a victim mentality, and it, why me? Or I get all entitled, and, and wh- how dare you? And Peter is advocating something entirely different for us, and today we get what might be the high point of Peter's advice to us in 1 Peter chapter 4. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. I saw a uh, tweet this week that I don't know how I saw this. I was Googling stuff, and someone tweeted this. It got retweeted over 16,000 times. The tweet said, when people live their lives to their fullest potential, I just can't relate. So evidently, I'm not the only person that struggles with (laughs) with motivation. I'm not the only person that struggles with the giddy-up. Today, in 1 Peter 4, Peter's going to do three things for us. This really could be three messages, but we're trying to end this series this week and next week. And next week, by the way, don't miss it. John Malella will be speaking. John's awesome. And he's going to cover 1 Peter chapter 5, and there's great stuff in it. Today, he's going to do three things in this chapter. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to give us the motivation to hang in there. The motivation to, to endure. The second thing he's going to do is he's going to tell us what it looks like. The, the kind of exercises of endurance. It's not an exhaustive list, but just a a, a ping. Hey, if you're hanging in there, you're going to be doing this. And then the last thing he does in the last paragraph of 1 Peter 4, it's as if he's climbed a mountain through this letter, and he's now at a high point, and he's going to survey, real briefly, big picture, uh, what he's done for us so far in this letter. So this is 1 Peter chapter 4. I had asked Reggie Matthew to read the scripture for us this morning. Reggie is an awesome guy. He's from southern India. And that's important. That's going to be an illustration at the very end of the message today. So imagine somebody who's sick in Reggie's family. He couldn't come today. So imagine that Reggie is here reading. I don't much look like Reggie, but I'm going to take Reggie's place. Let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word as we read 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. And remember these three sections, motivation, and then the exercise of it. When we're in giddy-up mode, what does it look like? And then that survey beginning in verse 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry, They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you, but they'll have to give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. 
For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory in God rests on you. If you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. You may be seated. All right, let's back up a sec. And let's get a picture of what we're talking about when we're talking about enduring, because it's a series about endurance. Throughout our conversations this whole summer, we have contrasted endurance with victimhood and entitlement. And I want to give you a picture of what endurance really looks like by contrasting it more fully. So let's look at this chart real quick, if you would, for a minute. Victims live with a sense of pessimism. People who are entitled live anxious, demanding lives, but enduring people have a living hope, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Enduring people have a future that's incorruptible. They are shielded by God's power, according to chapter 1, verse 5. Living hope, shielded by God's power. People who are victims hope in what is rightfully theirs, but they don't really think they'll get it, so they don't have very much hope. Entitled people hoping what is rightfully theirs and have learned how to demand it. We're pretty good at that in Northern Virginia, even though we often don't get it. Education and experience has taught us how to demand it. But in, enduring people set their hope on an eternity with God, according to chapter 1, verse 13. Enduring people refuse to be driven by their baser desires. In fact, they know that their baser desires will kill them, according to chapter 2, verse 11. They actually war against us, Peter says. So enduring people live holy lives, according to chapter 1, verse 15. Entitled people believe that what they want is right because they want it. Socially, sexually, financially, I want it. So it's got to, I mean, I really want it. So it's got to be right. Enduring people live in the fear of God. Victims live in fear of the system. Enduring people recognize that the culture we live in is foreign, so they're not surprised when things turn against them. Enduring people have been purified through obedience. Enduring people crave 
pure spiritual milk, chapter 2, verse 2. Victims doubt there's any good. Entitled people expect good from others, but enduring people do good deeds for others. Victims hate authority. Entitled people consider themselves above authority. Enduring people submit to every human authority. Finally, enduring people are part of what God is doing. They're part of what God is building in the world, and as such, they are the hope of the world. I read an interesting article from magazine Psychology Today this week, and it mentioned a study that was done in 2006 by this organization called the, the Compassionate Friends, and it's an organization that works with families that have lost children, bereaved parents. The study showed that the divorce rate among families who have lost children is almost 20%. Interestingly, the study also made note of some factors that contribute to health or success in a marriage, or the lack of success in those kinds of stressful situations. Look at this. It, it listed four things that contribute to success of a marriage when it's under severe stress. One, how strong the relationship was prior to the loss. Makes sense. Number two, the cause and circumstances surrounding the loss. Number three, this is interesting, the coping skills each person had prior to the loss. And number four, how much support the couple gets through the loss. Those contribute to what happens ultimately in the marriage. It makes sense, doesn't it? Those last two factors, this is part of what Peter is doing in his letter. He's building spiritual coping skills in us. And he's encouraging the kind of community that will help us endure, even thrive, through the most difficult circumstances, through the toughest times. So he begins 1 Peter 4 with some motivation. How are we supposed to hang in there? How do we endure? And Peter lists six things. We're going to do these quickly because I said these could be three messages, so we're going to do them quickly. Number one, you look at verse one at the bottom. We remember that Jesus also suffered. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. If you're a basketball fan of a certain age, you have probably heard that Michael Jordan didn't make his junior high basketball team. I have no idea whether that's actually true or not, but that's been used to motivate every young kid who wanted to play basketball and, and ran into a bump somewhere in his early career. Hey, Michael Jordan even experienced something like this, and, and he did it. This is exactly what Peter is doing here. Arm yourselves with the attitude that Jesus had because he suffered in the body. The second thing he offers as motivation is, we know that suffering helps us overcome sin. What? Here's what he says. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. What a thing to say. Of course, this is only true if you suffer in the right way. If we suffer as a victim, that leads to bitterness. If we suffer with an attitude of entitlement, that leads to cancerous anger. How dare they? But if we suffer with endurance, it leads to freedom and holiness. Some of you know this, the name Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a, a, a woman, a very, very young woman, about my age, who many years ago, when she was 17, she suffered an accident. She was diving into a lake, dove onto a rock, and 
pulled her out, rest, saved her life, rescued her, but she was paralyzed from the neck down. So she had to reinvent her life. I mean, she had to reinvent how to do life. She has become an internationally known author and speaker and artist. Yes, she draws with her teeth. Johnny Erickson Tata said this, heartache forces us to embrace God out of desperate, urgent need. God is never closer than when your heart is aching and it creates holiness. Suffering with endurance helps us overcome sin and focus on God. Third piece of motivation Peter gives us, we realize that any amount of sinning is enough and we've done plenty of it, so we're done with it. Listen to how he says it in in verses three through five. This has also set us up for the fourth one. He says, if you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry, look, they think it's strange that you don't jump in with them the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But, but they're going to have to give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. We, we've done enough of that. And then he sets us up for the fourth piece of motivation, which is vindication is coming. All things will be made right. Justice will be served. This helps us hang in there. Everyone will have to come before God, Peter reminds us, even those who have caused us suffering. This is a strange topic for us to think about. Look, we don't talk about this much in churches like Gateway because we live in the suburbs. One of my favorite quotes, it's written in one of my old notebooks back when I was in seminary, so it must be true. I've never been able to find this quote again, but let's all imagine it's true because I think it is. John Wesley Uh, the great uh, British revival preacher in the 1700s. Wesley left the Church of England, started preaching in the open air. Hundreds and then thousands of people started coming to a real connection with God and actually believing this stuff because of Wesley's preaching. It was so powerful, it crossed the Atlantic and uh, affected the United States, the colonies as well. More than one historian, not believing historians, not Christian historians, but secular historians, more than one historian have posited that England actually avoided the bloody revolution that happened in France because of the Wesley revivals. Because of the Wesley revivals, people began to clean up their lives, and a middle class was created in England in the same period of time that the the lower class was uh, chopping the heads off of the bourgeoisie in, in France. Late in his life, Wesley, looking back on uh, the influence of his preaching, he said this, Christian revival, which for Wesley that term meant, you know, people coming to a real connection with God. He said, Christian revival carries within itself the seeds of its own undoing. Christian revival carries within itself the seeds of its own undoing. And what he meant by that is people come to build a connection with God and when they do, they turn their lives around. And, and minors who used to spend all of their money on women who are not their wives and drinking, they now save. And their lives begin to be blessed, and they begin to be prosperous, and things turn around for them, and they forget about God. In the same way, as we get more comfortable, we don't think about judgment. We don't think about vindication. We don't think about God, God, assessing who we are and what we've done with our lives. 
we are so comfortable, we've anesthetized ourselves against that kind of thinking, but it's coming. It's a real thing. A hundred years from now, everybody in this room will be dead. And we will all experience this. And for us, that means that our difficulties will be redeemed and justice will be served. Vindication is coming. Fifth thing he tells us in a weird way, but the fifth thing he tells us is we know that we will triumph over death. This is motivation to hang in there. Listen to what he says. But they'll have to give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the good news or the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. All right, last week, Alex talked about what it could mean that Peter went and preached to those who were already dead or prisons in uh, spiritual prison. I'm not going to cover that territory again. Alex did it well, and basically he gave us a, a really good possible understanding of that, and he also acknowledged we don't really know exactly what this means. We don't know what it means here. But here's one thing we do know for sure. We know that death is not the end of things. The gospel makes it clear everywhere, including here, death is not the end. Even after we die, we live. And because of what God did in Jesus Christ, we will triumph over death. Sixth piece of motivation, we know the context of our suffering. We know the, the game in which our suffering happens. Peter says it really succinctly. The end is near. Our world has an expiration date. It's ending, and with the end comes the end of difficulty and suffering. That's the context of all of our suffering. Somebody reminded me a couple of weeks ago, I had this illustration that I used a number of times at Gateway a number of years ago because it just captured my attention. Someone had told me that this pastor who pastors a church in Hawaii was a really good communicator. So for a little while, I listened to his sermons to steal, I mean, uh, get good ideas. And so I was listening to a sermon one Sunday. He was talking about, he's a huge Dallas Cowboy fan. I don't know how he's a Christian, but he is. He's a huge Dallas Cowboy fan. And this was also the period of time in which the Cowboys were really good, which they're not anymore. This was during the Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith era. Those of you who are uh, football fans, you will remember this. And the Cowboys won almost all the time. But he was an enormous fan, lived in Hawaii, did I say? And, you know, he would watch the games on Sunday, tape the games and watch them on Sunday afternoon. He'd get mad, throw things at the television, get upset, get super nervous, and he just got tired of that, he said. So what he started doing is he would tape the game on Sunday morning. He would go to his church, he'd do his thing, he'd preach, and they'd have great service. And then on the way home, he'd make sure that he listened to sports radio. And he would find out the final score of the game. So he always knew what the outcome was. So no matter what happened in the game, he didn't need to get mad and he didn't need to worry because he knew what was coming. So they're 10 points down. Emmett Smith fumbles on the five-yard line. He's not nervous at all. In fact, he's excited. How in the world are they going to turn this around and win? We know the end of the game. That's the context of our suffering. We know how this story ends. We don't need to quit. We don't need to become victims. We don't need to get entitled. We know the context. Let's go. Right? Remembering, realizing, knowing all of these things. We can do this no matter what we're facing. And I know this morning, 25% of you are in the middle of it. We can do this. 
So if we do it, what does it look like? The exercise of endurance. What does it look like? This is Peter's second topic. How does it show up? So I'm going to read 7b through 12 again. And I apologize for this, but just making sure that we're all awake. This is a great section of scripture. He doesn't mean for this list to be exhaustive, but it's really interesting. The things that he picks that for him show up in a life of endurance. So let's do it again. Let's uh, stand uh, out of reverence for God's word. And we're going to read 7b through 12. Listen to this. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray above all. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And if you're in community with other people, there's going to be mess. They're going to hurt you. And if they're not tracking with God internally, some of that may spill out. They may hurt you because of that. But the love that you're exercising, God's love flowing through you, it covers that. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You notice the without grumbling part. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If, if anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength of God that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Again, Peter's just hitting some high points here. He's spontaneously riffing on some of the critical exercises for those of us who will endure. But the, the list is worth noticing, right? He begins with prayer. So if you are enduring, if you are hanging in there and doing it faithfully, you'll be praying. You will be a person of prayer and you will be praying. Secondly, we're not surprised by this, community. I loved hearing Grace talk about that. You will be building connections. You will be in the midst of connections because hanging in there in the toughest times is not a solo act. That's done together. That's why we spend so much time and energy talking about that at, at Gateway. We're convinced that God has placed us here in order to get deeply involved in one another's lives and the suburbs work against that. So we talk about it a lot. You're going to be the kind of person who's loving others deeply if you are an enduring person. The third one is interesting, though, isn't it? Offer hospitality. In this list of kind of epic things, serve others, get it. Love others, yes. Pray, amen. Offer hospitality. And without grumbling. I want you to remember that the next time somebody up here says, says pass the peace, and you, five of you go, oh. I, <laughs> I heard from three people this week, email or text, whose parent is dying. When you come out to church next Sunday, you walk in, you're dragging your kids behind you, you come in, you sit down, do you think there's anybody here that could be blessed by hospitality? Do you think there's anybody sitting next to you who, who might be blessed if you were able to say, how you doing? Really, how you doing? I'll guarantee it. Offer hospitality without complaining. That's what enduring people do. And, and then serve one another. We serve one another. It's what we do. God has put stuff in us, not for us. 
God's put stuff in us for one another. Can you see how through his motivation by offering some of the enduring exercises, can you see how Peter's building coping skills? And he's building in us the, the kind of support network that will allow us to endure through anything. Finally, he ends this chapter with a kind of survey. It's almost as if he's been, he's been climbing a hill and he's reached the top. He looks out over and he says, okay, here's what we've said so far. So 12 through 19, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come. Don't be surprised because life is tough for all of us. Why are you saying, why me? It's all of us. As though something strange were happening to you, it's not strange at all, but rejoice in as much as you, incredible, pause for dramatic effect, participate in the sufferings of Christ. When tough things are happening to you, it is as if at that moment you are completely identified with Jesus. And for Peter, he sees that as privilege so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Because that's, what's ha that's, that's what happens. You endure, so you face trial and endure it, the kind of endurance we were talking about earlier. God's glory is revealed to others, out of you, through you, in you. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Look, there are times when we suffer and it's, uh, it's our fault. We did it. We brought this on ourselves. And in those cases, we still endure. But in those cases, we endure with repentance and with confession. And some of us may be in that spot this morning. But man, when suffering comes on us that is, is not our fault, especially if it's because of our connection to Jesus Christ, we're blessed. That's a good spot. Where it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? That's not a subtle way of Peter saying, watch out. That's how it's sometimes read. Oh, judging God is going to judge you. What Peter's doing there is he's making a classic argument from the lesser to the greater. This is what I was going to talk about our friend Reggie. Reggie grew up in southern India, and Reggie was a, a very, very good cricket player. He, he will not tell you that himself, but he was very good. And Reggie has been asked since he's lived in the United States occasionally to go do cricket exhibition things. I want you to imagine... But Reggie's old now, so I want you to imagine that Reggie is asked to come do some cricket thing out here somewhere, out on our field. And a whole bunch of people out, come out to watch Reggie, and it's tough, and he, you know, he's worn out, and it, finally he gets hit with the ball. And he goes home that day, and his wife, Suda, how was it, Reggie? It was really rough. Uh, you know, I had a really hard time. Ultimately, I got hit with the ball. It was very, very hard playing cricket out there. Sort of would, in all fairness, be able to say to him, yeah, but imagine what it would have been like if Pastor Ed had been playing. Going from the lesser to the greater, from the sublime to the ridiculous. So if judgment is going to be hard for the household of God, imagine what it's going to be like for those who have no connection with him. I want to end with an odd comment. I'm going to apologize in advance for the 
subtle sexism that may be in this. There is some. And I want to apologize for the tried and true stereotypes and gender tropes that show up in this. They're here as well, but there, there's also truth in it. So bear with me. I got an article this week from Alex. Alex will occasionally send me interesting articles for us to think about or talk about or, or uh, encourage me. He sent me this interesting article this week about this guy was writing about men in churches and men's ministry. So this is for all of us, but men, I want to especially talk to you for a minute. Again, this is for everybody. I want to especially talk to the men for a second. So if you've gone to sleep, wake up. Uh, let me quote a couple of paragraphs from this article. A leader in the women's ministry at our church dropped her husband off for the men's barbecue night. She asked if she could help us. Thanks, but I think we're all set, was my reply. Well, could I help put tablecloths on because you don't have any? We don't use them, I replied. How about centerpieces, she said. None needed, I said. Well, what about if I put condiments in the bowls for you to use? We just squirt them out of the container. Thank you. She walked off shaking her head, and I smiled, thinking, I sure am glad I'm in charge of men's ministry. A few paragraphs later, the writer says this. In my opinion, spirituality in church is often characterized in more feminine terms. We men can feel we are spiritual failures because we're not emotional enough or we're not expressive enough in worship, or we don't enjoy sharing our feelings in small groups, or our prayers are not lofty and lengthy enough, or we don't enjoy just sitting around and being in the presence of God. Honestly, I've read a number of articles over the last few years that have the same line of thinking, make the same suggestion, that we've made church too feminine. And I think there's some truth in it. In fact, sometimes it feels like our aim here is to make people nicer and kinder and softer. Well, we need to be reminded today that that is not Peter's aim. In fact, in 1 Peter, he's taking aim at our softness. Peter is saying to us, in effect, this world can be a dark place, and it sometimes sets itself against you. But God is protecting you. He's shielding you. You've got to stand firm. You've got to be clear-headed and sober-minded. You've got to live holy lives. And that includes standing against your baser desires. Your inner life is sometimes a war zone, and you've got to wage war. And no matter what gets thrown at you, you've got to continue to respond with good deeds. No matter how you're treated, you can't give in. You can't resort to the victim. And, and you can't pretend you're above it, assuming you're entitled. You've got to absorb it and still press into God and still offer the world your best. Listen, this is a tall order, and it cannot be accomplished unless we strengthen our faith. Nice, soft faith will not do in a world bent on troubling us. This is not a call to niceness. This is a call to robust, tenacious, persecution-proof holiness and goodness. So let's go. We got this. Let's pray. In actual fact this morning, Lord, some of us are wobbling. We are teetering on the edge of old habits or we're grown weak and we're 
feeling sorry for ourselves or we're all up in it and we're feeling entitled and or we're quitting. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would strengthen the arms that have grown weak, shore up the legs that are wobbling, help us to move with you, in you, because of you. Lord, we are reminded this morning that Jesus suffered. Not even Jesus was immune. We're reminded that that makes all the difference. We're reminded that he endured the ultimate suffering for us to release to us the capacity to hang in and absorb and do good. So this morning we receive that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give us all just a moment. I don't know where you are this morning. I I suspect that that there are some here who uh, don't completely buy the story, and I get that. Glad you're here. I suspect that there are others of you here this morning who are struggling mightily. As I said, you're in the middle of it. And I pray that there's been a word of life for you today, uh, not a word of judgment. Uh, you, You know, God wants to shield. He wants to protect. He wants to strengthen. And he, he wanted to make that so clear that he had his arms nailed out to convince us, to remind us. Offered his blood for us. So, choir, let's stand together one more time before we go. This is my daily bread. You've heard it now. It's a beautiful, simple melody. You don't even need the words. Let's sing this prayerfully. And we're going to ask God to, whatever He said or done or stirred in us, that He'll seal it. This is my daily bread. Let's do that together. Desperate.
morning that we have you. Hear us this morning that we say, with all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you, we say, giddy up. And if we, at some point on Thursday, we want to take that back, you remember this morning that we said, we're in. Let's go. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, go in peace.